Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono, and today my next guest is a member of one of my all-time favorite bands, and someone who has done it all, from music to politics to animation to even space exploration. I promise you, this episode will truly be out of this world. Yes, corny puns and all. Please welcome to the show, from Blur and the creator of the acclaimed solo album, Radio Songs, England supporter, Dave Roundtree. Hello, good sir. Thank you so much for coming on. It's my pleasure. That's quite an introduction to uh, live up to, isn't it? <laughs> I believe there's oh, someone God, that... disappoint everyone. <laughs> nah, I believe someone can. It's you. And, you. and you've done all of these things with such humility and grace that I feel like the audience and the listener is going to, and myself included, is going to get a nice lesson uh, on life here. But there's so much to unpack, even before we get to a little bit of the football part of this episode. But you truly quite are a renaissance man um, and quite the impactful one. That is just mentioned earlier. But you also showcase how a person can live their life on their own terms, not be pigeonholed into just one thing. What is it like for you to follow that little white rabbit inside you that leads you to pursuing all these endeavors? Well, it all seems fairly natural to me. I, I, I can absolutely accept that from the outside, it must seem berserk and I'm kind of pinging off in all these various tangents, but they don't feel like tangents to me. I just do whatever seems most interesting at the time. Um, I'm somebody who's sort of mildly obsessive in nature. And so I'm able to kind of th throw myself into something if it grabs me. Um, and kind of apply my full self to it. So, you know, that's meant I haven't shirked away from career choices, shall we say, that have required kind of reskilling from the ground up. I found that a very interesting experience. I'm, I'm somebody who enjoys learning and enjoys taking exams about what I've learned, not least because I read a book in my, in my teens called How to Pass Exams. And since then, I don't know why they don't why it's not the first book they make school children read since then i've passed every exam i've sacked i've aced every exam i've sacked because i have exam technique i know how to learn for exams and that's that and that you know their memory tests basically i know how to cram 200 cases into my brain which is what you need to do to pass the law exams i know how to cram you know ordered lists, unordered lists, names, kind of long stories, techniques. All of this stuff was uh, figured out by uh, by the ancient Greeks how to do this, the, the memory techniques, and uh, and they haven't changed. And uh, I suggest anyone who, part, who needs to pass exams to progress in life simply goes and gets a book on how to do it. <laughs> It'll blow your mind. So I waltz into exams these days and uh, confident that I'm going to pass and uh, they're not stressful they're quite enjoyable so uh, one day I'm going to fail an exam and that's going to really kind of knock the wind out of my sails isn't it everyone's going to go oh yeah read a book did you read a book about passing exams did you oh well a lot of good that did you <laughs> I mean that's just I'm listening to this and I'm going if oh, man I wish it was that easy for me because I was a, I was always a bad test taker. I would study for hours upon hours on end. 
And now it's just sort of like, if something doesn't interest me, I just forget it. And I just don't yeah. care. But for you, like dealing with like going from music to politics, animation, space exploration, radio DJ, even podcast host. Did you ever think like, no, oh, we'll we'll just see how long this lasts and then move on to the next thing. Or you got bored with something and said like, Meh, throw it to the side and let's move on. Not really. It more something else came along and kind of swallowed up the time that I was taking on the previous thing, you know, like the podcast, for example, that was during the during the lockdowns when, you know, we all had very little to do and and we were looking for things to fill up our time. So, you know, I made I made my album in the second lockdown, but also I, I and a friend of mine put that to put that podcast together and, you know, it's, it is all about time these days. There's an almost infinite amount of things I would do if I didn't have to sleep and wasn't going to die. I would just be like, bring it all, I'll do it all. I'll do all the things, thank you very much. But uh, tragically, neither of those things are true. But yeah, I just, I as I say, I do whatever seems most interesting at the time. And interesting, you, you uh, talked about, um, you know, if something bores you, I, I found, well, I don't know if this is generally true or just true of me, but I can take an interest in something. It's an active process. Mm -hmm. So I found that there's almost anything you could imagine is uh, is complicated enough and, and deep enough that if you decide to delve into it and find out more, it can capture your interest, you know. And that has to be true, doesn't it? Because people do all kinds of stuff for a living. People... Uh, a kind of academics in almost anything you can think of spend their lives studying a particular microbe you know well there must be a lifetime's worth of interest to be found in that microbe then because otherwise these people are crazy you know and, the, and they're not they're like wildly intelligent so that's what i found that if i if something grabs my attention i can throw myself at it and uh, explore it and uh, and and uncover that wealth of interest in it uh, but it takes it's a it's a decision that i take about it rather than anything intrinsic in it that makes it interesting or boring so that's what i found so but approaching life in that way makes life this big kind of sweet shop doesn't it well you want to do tomorrow you know it, it's like uh, look around you that light bulb that's amazing how's that work as you know i could spend a week in getting involved in that light bulb up there, you know, and understanding how it works, the techniques to manufacture, you know, why is that better than another light bulb? What, what uh, you know, what, what's on the leading edge of light bulb technology at the moment? Where are they made? You know, who are the, who are the kind of leading lights? What are the academic papers being written about all of that kind of stuff? What does it mean in the grander scheme of things, you know, that, that where we're where we're heading as a civilization, you know, I'm, I'm no doubt the light bulbs say a lot about that. You know, we've gone from kind of burning, uh, burning olive oil now to to uh, shining LEDs into, you know, the, 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 you could probably measure the pace of technological change by all of that, couldn't you? So, you know, that's kind of the way I that's why I'm kind of frustrated at the lack of hours in the day now rather than when I was a kid at school I was mm -hmm. I was you know and nobody had explained how to pass exams and I just assumed I was an idiot because uh, you know everybody else was acing them and I, I was kind of the I was the sort of dunce really at school and uh, 
and uh, you know my my kind of view of things i i still still have an idiot and throw that out there so the fact that i've done lots of stuff in life doesn't make me any more clever tragically if only it did but uh you know that kind of attitude to life now has, has served me pretty well and it's, it's taken me down some really interesting roads you know i've been a as you as you mentioned i've been a computer animator that was uh that born out of uh um born out of uh, an inability to sleep actually i stopped drinking in the early 90s 1994 i stopped drinking for, for about five years after that a terrible insomnia you, you don't realize how much you know you, what you put inside your body affects the kind of natural rhythms of things and it yeah. took years for those those that kind of stuff to to come back and kind of equalize itself again and just you know after after literally years of of the frustration of not being able to go to sleep i just thought one day why am i even bothering if i can't go to sleep get up you know and so if i couldn't sleep i would just get up put my clothes on go and do something you know not going to sleep anyway who cares so and, uh, one of the things i'd always been interested in how a good animator can breathe life into a drawing you know make it move in a way that it, it appears to be moving doing the intention itself and i've always thought that's magical you know people with that ability so that was one of the things i did my kind of uh, lying awake or well, not lying awake my kind of uh, insomniac periods i had a, a vhs cassette recorder and some disney cartoons and i w went through them a frame at a time to see how the animator did it and that kind wow. of you know that takes days to do that you know and i got some books on it as well some gr amazing uh amazing uh books on animation by uh by the uh, ex warner brothers animators you know talking about exactly that how do you not just make things move but how do you make things move like they are moving themselves which is you know mm -hmm. the key skill and so then i started doing it myself and it was a kind of the dawn of the ability of 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 ordinary computers to be able to run that that kind those kind of programs up until then you needed a million pound computer to do right. 3d animation on you know toy story was done on the most incredibly laughably expensive computers which you know now you could make that kind of thing on your mobile phone but uh, right. it was the kind of the tipping point of that where it went from a million pound computer to you know a thousand pound computer or ten thousand pound computer or whatever it's suddenly it all dropped by order of magnitude or two and so you know the, the simple animation software was becoming available to the masses and so i was kind of on the leading edge of that i guess a bit but um it as always these things tend to get interrupted by blur you know i was doing that <laughs> at a point when it looked like blur wasn't ever going to do anything again and i was thinking well what should I do? You know, and then my I I'd learned to animate, and I was doing that for friends and family and for fun, and then it kind of turned into a business, and uh, you know, I ended up with a little studio in the West End and a couple of animators working for me, and it was a, you know a really fun time. Um, but yes, of course, Blur being the uh, being the ever constant kind of. Uh, day job well, in the tire china shop that comes careering in smashing whatever it is that i whatever fragile you know <laughs> life i've built for myself nope you don't do that anymore you're doing blur again okay then so 
So uh, does it get does it excite you though to be I like the way you're speaking of blur, obviously it's with affection, but also it does sound like a day job for you. Does it does is it still exciting for you? Yeah, the playing the the the, the payoff for me for being a musician has always been performing. You know, yeah. I love playing live. So the studio is okay, but it's long days and the drums tend to get done fairly early on, you know, so, uh, you know, you have a month or two really sitting there watching other people doing stuff, you know, so chipping in where where I can, but, uh, um, you know, the, for me, the, the fun bit of it is always playing live shows. So, yeah, whenever we can get around to doing that. And that's one of the reasons for, you know, that's what excites me. But that was one of the reasons for doing this solo album, really, because Blur is kind of, you know, it only comes around once every five years at best at the moment. I don't know if that's going to hold true in the future, but I can't wait five years between shows. I can't wait until the lunatics I'm in a band with decide that they're all ready simultaneously. You know, there's always someone going, oh, I can't do it this year. Oh, not this year. No, no, no. So, uh, um, you know, I thought, well, if I can get a project of my own off the ground, yeah. you know, I can tour whenever I like. So now... Is there like a juxtaposition for you? Because in 2015, I finally got a chance to see Blur. I saw you first in a very small club in Brooklyn at Music Hall of Williamsburg. Tiny, tiny room. Just blew my face off. Just amazing. <laughs> and then six months later, I see you at the Cathedral of New York City, Madison Square Garden, a completely sold out show. Also blew my face off. Obviously, bigger production, bigger things going on than the tiny club. But... For you this summer, you're going to be playing festivals, but you're also going to, with the band, but you're also going to be taking hopefully the solo record on the road and playing the smaller clubs. Do you prefer which do you prefer, and what's what's that like for you to go from a tiny room where you can feel the heat and the sweat off of everybody, and then to go to a, a field or a big arena and say like, wow, everyone's about five thousand meters away, and I can't touch anybody, and you can all keep your sweat to yourselves, and I'm up here, totally <laughs> socially distanced from the rest of the band, and I'm gonna have fun and still play. Like, what's that like for you? Well, you can't touch any of them these days. That's all. That's all very. You know, that was that was the nineties, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's wonderful to be able to do both really you know when you're only playing small clubs and pubs and bars you think oh why oh why oh why doesn't the world recognize my genius and then when the world recognizes your genius it's like oh but i like those small clubs they were they were the fun part you know <laughs> people are never happy musicians especially so so it's lovely to be able to do both and that's what we usually try and do on tour so we uh we um you know, we've got some big gigs lined up over the summer, but hopefully we're going to start off with some little sweaty Ooh. places. Um, uh, that's that's what we normally do to kind of get back in the swing of things. You know, remember where we remember where we started, not get too big headed, <laughs> all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's great to be able to do both. And obviously, with the with solo album, with the, I've played a small handful of shows, but they've been very small shows, starting at the the. the starting at the bottom again with that. So that's all very exciting. Because now the thing about the the solo record is sort of indicative of the things that you we've talked we've talked about, even though they're all vastly different, is, is that 
I feel like you find a Rubik's cube that is completely disarray and you want to reassemble it and almost make it not difficult tasks, but tasks that can be attainable and restarting over again. So now like you're restarting in a sense as a musician, but on your own, you're fronting that you're the front man now, um, like you did with politics, you were right out in the open. It was just you. Uh, so does that, is all of this like kind of correlate to what you were talking about earlier is that, well, just got to find something to keep me interested and let's see if I can pass this test. Yeah, it was an interesting challenge, you know, and it wasn't, uh, I didn't know if my voice was going to be up to it. You know, I wasn't sure if, uh, if the songs were gonna, were good enough, you know, and there's always moments of self doubt when you're doing some kind of creative endeavor, and I'm somebody particularly prone to that, you know, the kind of four in the morning. But what if, what if fundamentally what I'm doing is shit, and everyone's just going to laugh? That's the kind of, you know, they're going to point at me and go, "See, he's an idiot. We told him he should just sit at the back and not never say anything." Well, you know, go away. So, uh, so you get those thoughts too. So yeah, it's yeah. not just oh, my yeah. own mind like tricking me. Like everybody gets those thoughts. Everybody yeah. gets them. But especially if you're trying to, if you're taking a risk, the way to avoid those thoughts is to never take a risk. No, if you... <laughs> I think that's the only way. Just kind of live the the safest life possible. Always work within your comfort zone, and then you never need worry that anything's ever going to go wrong. But um, it's the that's where the excitement in life is, isn't it? Taking the risk. I mean, within reason, I'm not a gambler or, you know, a bungee jumper or anything like that. I'm <laughs> interested, but, you know, pushing yourself, can I do this? It'd be, you know, interesting to find out where my limitations are, kind of, kind of taking a risk. Um, but yeah, I don't even know what question you asked me. I mean, I we're off on such a digression here. Are we still talking about light bulbs? <laughs> talking about exactly well, well uh no, like yeah. what's it like for you now to be fronted a band and starting all over again you know yeah no, it's good it's it all worked out surprisingly well you know i, I mean uh, i thought the songs were going to work i thought they were held together cohesively i thought it was all a, a kind of interesting narrative the whole thing from my perspective you know that's just the story i was telling about uh about, and i thought it resonated a bit with what was going on at the moment and so and the kind of singing worked out. I, I, um, I, once I had finished the record, I signed up with a singing teacher to get singing lessons because I thought well, I'm going to do this live. Yeah. You've got to be able to rely on your instrument, haven't you? And it's, that's the one thing about playing the drums. I know how to do it. You know, like if you if you want me to play drums for five hours, I can do that. You know, that's that's a solved problem for me. I have the muscles and the muscle memory and I know how to play and I know how to pace myself with singing. It's like I'm this kind of idiot launched into the world of singers, you know. Like I thought, well, I could I could make all the mistake all the classic mistakes, you know, that would be great. That'd be a really good thing to do. That'd be good that the memoirs that would go down quite well. But on stage at, at the time in front of the audience, that might not go down so well. So I thought to, and one of the great things I have found in life is that uh, rather than making all the classic mistakes, you can simply pay somebody to explain to you how not to make the classic mistakes, <laughs> which is brilliant. What a what a find that was. So uh, 
yeah, I signed up with a brilliant singing teacher who who immediately uh, told me I was doing it all wrong and to start again from scratch, and uh, which wow. I did. And so, uh, and so that's worked out really well as well. But yeah, no, I, I I'm very happy in front of a crowd, and you know I've done enough public speaking in the past decade or two to to know that I you know I'm I'm not intimidated by standing up in front of a crowd of people, and I can kind of do that bit. And uh, I did enough practice before the shows so that I was reasonably confident I could get to the end without making too many mistakes. I mean, you don't mind making mistakes. You just want the audience to notice them. Right. All the mistakes on earth, as long as nobody knows. It's slightly on your first album, you're in this golden zone, really, because nobody knows the songs. You know, it's kind of, they don't know if I do something wacky. It might just be, uh, you know, me going off on one. <laughs> might be this little jazz version. You know, they have no idea if what I'm doing is correct or not. So it's fine. <laughs> to some extent, you can kind of, you can take it easy. But uh, yeah, from here on in, it gets harder when they go, it doesn't go like that. That's not the words. <laughs> what are you doing? You don't even know the words to your own song, you idiot. <laughs> it's, but, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, the beauty of rock and roll is that it is about the imperfections, though. So you do, you, you, there are some allowances, but there are, but, but like when when you do hear a tune that everybody knows, like one of the most beautiful and most pure moments I've ever come across on social media was in 2018 when you posted a video of yourself attending a Norwich match and the team's walkout song was Blur's Park Life. What was that experience like? And did you know the club used it as their entrance music? And seeing that crowd res respond to it, because that is, that's such a quintessentially British song too, but like at a very quintessential British thing, like a, a football match and everyone going nuts and bananas just for the team, for the song, and, and you're right there in the middle of it. <laughs> no, it was Norwich playing Ipswich, and uh, and my uh, good friend of mine used to be the managing director of Ipswich Town, so uh, he would invite me along to some games, and we would kind of hang out and have fun. And you know, it's a it's a great thing to a great th great thing to dip in and out of. Really, but wasn't particularly an Ipswich fan, though. It was the that was the closest. I grew up in Colchester. Mm -hmm. Ipswich was the kind of closest what's now the Premier League, what used to be the first division team. So we, Colchester people had, a, we've got our own football club, Colchester, but uh, it's a depressing experience supporting Colchester. I tried it for a bit, but really Colchester, Colchester's glory days always seem to be in the past. You know, it's Colchester nil, they should change the, change the name of the club too. But uh, so uh, yeah, we certainly tried it for a couple of seasons, and and when they they fell out the bottom of the football league altogether, we sort of stopped going. Um, Sounds like yeah. the Wrexham. Oh. <laughs> yeah, all those all those kind of provincial towns have have one of those football teams. But Ips so Ipswich won the FA Cup one year. You know that Ipswich used to be the, one of the best uh, teams in the in in the country, one of the best teams in Europe at one right. point. So Colchester supporters always had an eye on Ipswich, slightly jealous, but also slightly kind of, you know, slightly adopting them as their sort of unofficial Premier League first division team. So anyway, so I knew Ipswich, I knew all the players, the great players from those from the FA Cup days, all of those, you know, all of that. So it was kind of I fit 
fit in quite nicely there, you know, and it's fun in the when you know the directors and you know that it's quite good banter and or you know it's all quite uh, you can imagine when a couple of beers are are, are consumed, it all gets quite rowdy and you know all of that. So that, you would sign up, sign me up for that. I don't drink, but rowdy, I do, I do do rowdy. So um, um, and Ipswich played Norwich. Well, I lived in Norwich at the time, and I was a councillor in Norwich, a Labour Party. Uh, local government councillor so um, there's no way I could be seen to support Ipswich at that match <laughs> but uh, he invited me along and uh, there's a, a, a chef in the UK a famous chef called Delia Smith who is uh, one of the owners and the kind of mascot of Norwich and uh, so I met her and I met the, the, the Norwich directors and we all had a big, uh, big uh, dinner before the match and again it all got a bit rowdy and all fun and and uh, Delia said, I've got a surprise for you. And I said, all right. And she, she wouldn't, I wouldn't, couldn't uh, get any more information out of her about the surprise. But yes, so we, I, I, we went out to, and uh, the, the teams came out. And as, as Norwich came out, they played Park Life. I had no idea. And the, the reason was that the fans had rewritten the lyrics to talk about some of the players. They'd written a kind of comedy version to talk about some of the Ipswich players, you see. And they would sing it in the ground and the, the team loved it. So they kind of adopted Park Life as their sort of, uh, you know, official song. And they would play it, you know, when uh, when uh, the teams came out and they would play it when Ipswich scored a goal. So it was, it was great. It was really, really nice. How, so nice how much... How much joy does that bring you knowing that you created something? You were a quarter of a band that helped create something that means so much to so many people. Like you deliver a smile because of a three minute tune, M multiple three minute tunes, mind you, but like that one in particular. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's really, that was a really nice moment, you see. I just think you don't get to see very often the sort of joy that your work put, brings to people and kind of brings in people's lives. And that's one of the, one of the funny things about being in a band, you, you, the, all of that seems to happen at a distance, you know, like when you're in the studio, you're isolated, there's like the five, four of you and the producer usually, and maybe a couple of other people, and that's it. For months on end, you're kind of, you know, intensely working on this music. But then when you play live, it's kind of, a, it's kind of an odd, experience because you know you walk on stage and people scream I mean, that's kind of <laughs> that's that's it doesn't happen in in many fields of life you know it's we're not really it doesn't it kind of it's kind of seems almost an overreaction <laughs> yeah you don't see those moments which i have with music you know when music music kind of turns your mood around music is reassuring music is comforting Music is fun, music vibes you up, ready to go out. You don't see that. You're not there when that happens very often. Right. So that Ipswich, that um, yeah, Norwich Ipswich match was one of those moments. Yeah, I went, wow, this, you know, we've given the fans something, they've taken it, played with it, and they've given it back, you know, and that's just like really nice. It's like a little interaction with all these people in the ground. It's so beautiful. You know, yeah. I've always on this podcast, I've I've interviewed a number of musicians yeah. and from different walks of life, from different parts of the world. And I've always equated on this podcast that musicians are very similar to footballers, even because you need the crowd, you need the the cheering, you need the atmosphere. Um, and 
you know, a band could, or a singer or artist could create a crap record, but as long as the live show is good and you keep up a fight like a football, the result may not be the what you want, but they did everything they could. Great fight, you know, like we saw in the World Cup with France and Argentina. France put up a hell of a fight, still lost, but something to be proud of. Morocco, so many teams are just like that. But the crowd is what really brings it to the to the forefront of it all. On the opposite, though, you decided at one point to go into politics, which doesn't bring any smiles to anybody's face, and it's the complete antithesis of what this is. So what was that like for you? And especially now, like, you were doing, you, Labour elected in an era when, you know, everything was quite, it's still uncertain in the UK, and, but it was really, like, beginning to look very bleak. How do you try and deliver smiles at that point? Yeah, well, my kind of politics. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a activist, really. You know, a local activist. So my kind of politics is knocking on people's doors and asking them if they're okay, if they've got any problems, if there's any way I can help. You know, and that kind of came about as a really as a result of that kind of disconnect, musical disconnect that I was talking about. You know, I found that I was kind of craving that sort of one-on-one making a difference in people's lives things and that that kind of spurred a few uh, which I, I'm sure on the face of them seem like odd choices like getting involved in local politics and uh, becoming a criminal lawyer both of those were really as a result of you know wanting to get more uh, kind of one-on-one time with people and you know talking about them rather than talking about me and, you know, seeing if there, any, if there was any way I could help. And both of those, I found it incredibly rewarding, incredibly frustrating as well. And, you know, to take up vast amounts of time and, and, uh, and all of that kind of stuff. But both of them in their own ways, um, I've, were exactly what I was looking for. You know, the politics thing, I did eventually get elected as a Labour councillor. I was a Labour councillor in, in opposition. There was an overwhelmingly conservative uh, uh, council and so I couldn't you know I didn't have my hands on the levers of power such they are such as they are in local politics that that said you know you that it's often the local you know politics at a local level where you can do the most good I think you know you're you're right there with people you know that the money you've got to spend is the money that most affects their lives from day to day you know the, the leaves of power that national governments have are often far blunter instruments you know changing tax rates all of that kind of thing it's very hard really to see how that's going to affect individuals down the line but uh, you know make decisions about who gets uh, you know, if, if people are carers looking after disabled family members or something, you know, trying to get them more money to do the things they need to do. You can turn somebody's turn somebody's life around or get them respite. Uh, you know, but the, the the respite care for uh, for their family for the for the disabled relatives, you know, so that they can have a bit of time off and kind of get their head back straight again. All of that kind of stuff, stuff that I was able to do you know, really made a big difference. So, uh, and, and working as a lawyer, I, it was, uh, you know, it was an odd thing, but I, I, I threw myself into that. I got really, really captivated by the 
legal process and the kind of intricacy of it and the complexity of it I found very alluring but also the fact that it was a people job you know fundamentally you're working one-on-one -on -one with somebody who's been accused of a criminal offence and you know often they've done it in which case it's a it's really sort of managing and and helping and holding them through the legal process to whatever the outcome is going to be often they're going to end up in prison which is terrifying for you know people like you and me most most uh, most people I met never you know if you'd have asked them whether they would do what they ended up doing you know 10 years before they'd have gone of course not of course I wouldn't do that you know but it turned out to be like those kind of air crash investigation programs that used to be fashionable you know where the 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 captain switches the wrong switch on the runway and you know 20 minutes later he's kind of all the lights are flashing he's kind of had no idea what's going on he flies into the side of a mountain you know it's kind of you know they just things spiral out of control and people people have no you know they take some poor decisions often getting involved with drugs or gambling or borrowing money or thinking it might be fun to you know do something exciting on the fringes of legality and you know five years later they're living on the streets or they're you know prostituting themselves or or uh, you know involved in very serious crime or somebody's died along the way you know um and they find themselves in a position they would never have dreamed of being in equally i've met some absolute psychopaths who uh you know should honestly be locked up but everybody's good, including theirs, full stop, you know. <laughs> so I've met some of those as well. Some of the most charming people you could ever meet, these psychopaths, you know, utterly charming, you know. You, 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 you would uh, happily uh, go out for dinner with them if uh, they hadn't just killed a bunch of people, you know, kind of. <laughs> you, know, that, you know, there was, that's why, you know, there's always that allure, like the Jeffrey Dahmers and the, um, yeah. You know, of the world and the um you know even the uh, i'm trying to think of like other like famous cases here because there are so many but like there was the night stalker yeah. it's like there's just so yeah. many of these like cold-blooded yeah uh, as you said psychopaths that just but you can't tell that's the that's the interesting thing you know as if you could they would just round up all the psychopaths wouldn't they but right. you just can't tell they're often the people who who know how to be charming, know how to fit in, know how to manipulate you into being their friend. You know, you just and they they have that. Uh, you know, at least the the two or three that I've I've met, two proper kind of serial killer psychopaths I've met, and uh, they're just perfectly nice people. You know, very well spoken, kind of. Uh, you know, the the the, the, the kind of public. Uh, perception of this is that they're kind of monsters lurking right. in the shadows but if they were monsters lurking in the shadows you just go into the shadows grab the monster throw him in jail wouldn't you It'd be easy <laughs> i think jack the ripper tale you know <laughs> so it's, uh, it's kind of when when you're dealing with that especially on such an intimate one-on-one -on -one level any voice in the back of your head go Mate, this is a far cry from Glastonbury and Wembley and Madison Square Garden. Like, maybe, maybe go back behind the drum kit. Well, that's one of the joys of it is you're involved in it, you know, completely. You're, you know, when you're looking at, when you're dealing with somebody else's problems, you don't have that voice in your head going, telling you about your, yourself and, you know, your problems and your aspirations. And that's one of the great joys I've found of working with other people in, in these kind of one-on-one -on -one situations 
you're thinking about their problems, you think about them, you can think about how they can have a better day. Stops you thinking about yourself. So, yeah. I mean, it, I, I have got to say, uh, Colchester is in Essex, the county of Essex in the UK. So I did, uh, I, as my work as a criminal lawyer, I visited a lot of police stations. That's how you get introduced to the clients. They're in the police station and you go in and supervise the, the, uh, in, the interrogation, the police uh, um, asking them questions about what went on. And, uh, but the Essex police got wind of the fact that this, the drummer from Blur was now a criminal lawyer, <laughs> was <laughs> kind of popping up at police stations at five in the morning you know, with ne'er-do-wells. And so uh, that, that served me quite well because they were quite happy, you know. <laughs> they lead fairly kind of bleak lives often, you know, especially the night shift. Not much of any interest happens, you know. They just go to round up the drug addicts yet again. Right. And, uh, so that, that served me quite well. So I managed to kind of wangle extra cups of tea for my uh, clients and kind of, you know, kind of... Uh, extra special treatment in some cases so that that was quite good anyone ever come yeah. in with like hey we know we know dave's coming in tomorrow someone come <laughs> in with like you know cover with 13 or you know or, <laughs> or magic whip and just say like hey sign up for me you know? no the police are very professional so no they never did that and that you know oh, so they're not like the nypd where they're like they're gonna take like <laughs> selfies with like you know a famous person that got busted or in cell uh, that certainly never happens. I'm not that kind of famous, though. So, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of fair underground famous. I'm in a famous band, but I myself aren't really famous enough to justify that. If Damon was a criminal lawyer, then that, you know, he might be But, uh... <laughs> much, yeah, right. You know, it, it, this is, this is <clears throat> hilarious, and I, and I kind of love it, and the, the massive juxtaposition of it all. For the listener, you're probably noticing like, well, they've only talked about football once, you know, what, what's going on in this episode. Um, and so here's the wonderful thing about all of this is that while Dave is an England supporter, and we're going to get to a couple questions after that in the lightning round, but he's not anti-football, but he's also not the largest football fan on planet earth, which is quite great because you have been in a band, you are in a band rather, with someone who is an outspoken Chelsea fan. Damon, as we just mentioned, is a huge Chelsea supporter. You know, and, you know, during the heyday of Britpop, it was sort of just the microphones were in front of every band's face and basically the best way to sell Premier League to the Americans and the rest of Europe was just, well, I like this band, they support that team, that's the team I'm going to cheer for, and so on and so forth. But here you are, sort of like kind of in the middle of it, enjoying the game, but not loving it and obsessing over it. So what's that all like for you? Yes, Damon is a football fan, really. You know, as I say, I, 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 tried, I tried football fandom for a season. Then it was Colchester United. We started that season in the fourth division. We ended that season out of the Football League altogether, dropped into something called the Foxhall Conference, which is, I don't even know what that is. You know, I, I think it's uh, something to do with cars or something. I don't think they even play football. So, you know, Colchester, their heyday was a decade before that, when they were in the second division, which is now the championship. And, 
and uh, they were looked like they may might get promoted to the top division. They'd just beaten Leeds United, who at that time were one of the top teams in the world, and they still are one of the great teams. But uh, you know, we were seen as giant killers. It was one of those that you know that's a moniker they apply to to anyone that uh, wins unexpectedly in the FA Cup. They're giant killers, and that's quite a reputation to live up to. Costa didn't quite manage to live up to that reputation, unfortunately. <laughs> But uh, they had a kind of crisis of confidence and, and fell back down the leagues again and then eventually fell out of the league altogether. Mm. So it was just, it, it just, it just didn't inspire devotion in me. And, you know, for many people, that kind of, that kind of narrative is quite appealing, I think. You know, their team never quite reaching the kind of pinnacles that, uh, that uh, they feel their team deserves, you know, is the kind of, I mean, that's the football experience for most, let's face it, for most teams, isn't it? Unless you're going to support one of the top 10 teams in the Premier League, that, you know, that, that, that is going to be the story of your, uh, of your footballing, football supporting career, really. But um, yeah, that, I didn't find that engaging enough, you know, turning, turning up to losing match after losing match. <laughs> <laughs> kind of find that engaging enough to, uh, to, to, to kind of warrant a lifetime interest in football. But it's a, you know, I mean, I'm, I say I'm not anti-football. I still, I follow, I follow England when they're, you know, in the, the big sort of national events. I'm still, you know, and I, I watched the World Cup and uh, and uh, I watched the Euros and but yeah, so I, I'm an England supporter because I'm a I'm a patriot, <laughs> but I'm not a I'm not a football nerd. I, it's not like I could name the team from you know ten right. years ago and know the score of all the matches and that kind of thing. Though so, so, you know, I'm like the I'm like the art critic that doesn't know much about art, but you know what he likes. I'm like that with football. I don't know much about football, but I know a good game when I see one. <laughs> that's I mean look, and that's totally because here's the thing, more often than not, as is that here's where you get to play the everyman. Like in this podcast, we've talked about you passing all these exams and acing all these tests, doing all these amazing things. But now you're sort of like a lot of supporters that I come across that when I say come on the podcast, even just regular Joes. And they're just like, no, because I don't follow that much. And I said, well, that's what makes you so interesting. <laughs> it's that you're not going to be spitting off like who was a starting lineup for Ipswich Town in the 1985 <laughs> season and who got the golden goal and, you know, <laughs> you know, in the dying embers of a match. Like, it, it's fine. Like, this is where, you know everything's cool like you get to still you, you as long as you love the sport that's really kind of the best thing about it and because one of the things that i also enjoyed too was you were signing cds and you had posted on twitter that you were watching uh there was a match recently you were watching you were signing your albums you know so it's clearly something that is ever present or and is an inescapable for you but you know do you find yourself like even though you may not be super nerdy or passionate about it that it still brings you enjoyment yeah yeah i know yeah if, if i have a reason to cheer i definitely get behind it you know it's kind of it's it's only of late that england have had much to cheer about in terms of our footballing prowess so usually we go into these matches with the whole country with this kind of icy fear in the pit of our stomach because we just know 
that it was going to start well and it's going to seem promising and everyone's going to go actually maybe they're going to get the cruel cruel glimpse of hope you know that this time it may be different you know only to have that uh, that uh, hope dashed on the rocks of reality where we come crashing out a little bit later but uh the, the recent years the england story hasn't been like that and we're we as a country are taking finding that hard, a little hard to get used to mm -hmm. like there that. is also <laughs> a beautiful story with the lionesses you know winning 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 yeah. the euro you know so there is so much to cheer about for both <laughs> versions of the three lions that do you think that, as you said, it, it's kind of hard to get used to, but do you think that we're going to see something where winning is almost the norm at that point? Or is this too too much pushing the envelope? Oh, yeah, oh, you, can't, you, you went ahead and said it, didn't you? <laughs> oh, no. Nobody in the country has been allowed to say anything like that. It's like, well, I'm not in the country, so you, the, the, the words have come out of a speaker in the country. And it's like, oh, no, that's gone and jinxed it. That's gone and jinxed it. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, the Lionesses, is, but that was a big deal here. You know, the the, uh, the FA here have been trying to kickstart women's football for a long time, you know. And a couple of things have happened. Uh, uh, there's been, there's been a, a great documentary uh, about the Lionesses that kind of introduced them as characters and, you know, the, the showed the team spirit and all the stuff that's going behind the scenes. That was a big deal. Everybody went, wow, that's, they're like, you know, they're really, really passionate, even more passionate than the men. You know, they got, they got so much to prove uh, and, uh, and, you know, it looks like they could really do it. And then they did. So that was all a big deal. And so that's, that has, you know, kick-started kind of a national interest in women's football those that, that was uh, that were an awful long time coming really and it wasn't the same in the states women's football has been a thing for a long time in the states i mean you know it hasn't yeah. been a men's game and a women's game really since the start has it since the america started taking interest in in soccer and it in america it's not you know there's men's and women's everything isn't it i don't know why why we're so behind the curve here you know, we, we often laugh at people who think, you know, we still live in foggy London and go around in horse and horse and carts, you know. But in that way, we have done. We really have done. We've been the dinosaurs of kind of sport, you know, kind of uh, for, for kind of recognising diversity in sport. We're the, like, the last of the party, really. But I think we are catching up now. And there's, uh, you know, because of the success of the Lionesses and the success of the of them kind of promoting themselves and showing what they're about. There's now renewed interest in women's rugby, stuff into a nation's psyche more than if the team is good, is it? And that's, you know, and all of our women's teams so far have just been bloody brilliant, you know, just amazing. So, you know, that's uh, that's really helped, you know, had, had we kind of had the teams been terrible and sort of limped along, you know, it might have been a different story, but they haven't been. It's been, it's been amazing. And it's all lots and lots of money has been spent now on, on women's sport, which is fantastic and uh, and not before time. Great. You know, and it, it's it's really it's really wonderful to hear and see that and see where all of this goes, too. And of course, like a victory always helps. But uh, 
Dave Roundtree, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about you and talking about your music, your work, your completely fascinating life, uh, which you still hold the key as the most interesting person I've ever chatted with. So thank you. <laughs> uh, I've, I've got three questions for you that pertain yep. to being with the national team. Yep. My favorite part of the podcast. So now, if we could... It's a test, because I, I haven't done any of the... Uh, oh, done the homework. This might be the one where you bomb. I don't know. We'll find out. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from ModCup.com. Mod Cup. Drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. Or, um, if you could bring back one retired player to the Three Lions, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, George Best. He he was uh, absolutely my hero growing up. You know, I, I was grew up in England in the 1970s when he was in his heyday, you know, before it all went wrong for him. And he was everything. He was like the kind of James Bond of football. He was everything, you know. And he, he his famous quote that he gave in a in a interview of the newspapers that stayed with me forever. He said, uh, he said, uh, you know, I've made millions and millions of pounds, and I've spent it all on uh, on booze and women. And he said, the rest I squandered. <laughs> he said, I've spent millions and millions. On, on women, on women, fast cars, and booze, and the rest I squandered. You know? <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, he said it far better than I could. But that just made me think, yeah, that is, you know, that is the James Bond of football, really. That's kind of, you know, it, so he, he, I just, you know, these things tend to end tragically, don't they? When, when somebody has that much talent, you know, is that... But he was this beautiful, beautiful man when he was young. And he's, you know, he went out with the supermodels of the day and kind of, in those days, you could kind of, you could have a cigarette at half time, couldn't you? <laughs> Everybody would think that was unusual, you know, a, cig a cigarette and a kind of <laughs> a gin and tonic go back on that probably improve your play in the second <laughs> half. <laughs> You're much more loose. Yeah, he was that kind of footballer. Ah, well, yeah, well, yeah, that question. Um, if uh, if England could sign one player who was not English and just try and convert them, who would it be and why? We'd have to have Messi, wouldn't we? I mean, yeah, I mean, goes without saying. If he's thinking if he's thinking he's too old for some other team, we'll have him. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna throw him out, send him over here. Poor Jack Graylish is still sitting on a bench. There's 35-year-old Lionel Messi doing what Messi does. And finally, what has been your favorite moment watching this game? Um, I, I really like the new... I really like the England of the, the World Cup this year. You know, the, the humility of the the lads, the passion for the game, you know, it was interesting hearing them after the, after each match, the way they spoke, you know, respectful, kind of uh, polite, you know, humble, saying, you know, when in the past, the, you know, the England team have come across as quite arrogant and kind of uh, entitled, 
you know, and all of that's gone. And now it's all about, you know, they're always saying it wasn't just me. This was a team effort, you know, and yes, we did well today, but there's a long way to go. And I, we're not thinking about yesterday. We're thinking about tomorrow and all of that kind of stuff, you know, maybe they're just taught to say that. And, you know, they come out, fuck it, you know. <laughs> I don't think so. I think they're a nice bunch of lads, you know, I think they're, I think they're a credit to the nation. I think they're people we can genuinely be proud of. And, uh, you know, I came away from this World Cup thinking, I did, honestly, it didn't matter really that we got knocked out when we did. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have minded if we got knocked out earlier or won the World Cup. I thought we were, they were, you know, given you, you, you got touched on the beginning about the problems this country's got. And boy, do we have problems, you know, there's, there's a real crisis going on in this country at the moment. And, you know, we've had such bad politicians recently that have made the country a laughing stock. And I think our- I mean, the head of lettuce was, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I wonder where that lettuce is now, because uh, that's rid for a while. That was the most famous politician in the country. Lord Buckethead and the head of lettuce. You know, it's, not, it's one the same at that point. But the England team, I think, showed who, if the politicians show, you know, the very worst of us, the England team showed the very best of us. They're the people we hope we are when we're abroad, you know, polite, we're, we're respectful, we're, we try hard and, and to win or lose, we try and have it, do it with a smile and with courtesy. And I think, uh, so yeah, that th this year, I think, uh, Without, I want to get all misty eyed about it. I think, yeah, it's quite beautiful, man. Like, kind of, you know, that that was my favorite moment of England this year. The human, I love that, you know, and it's you, we've seen that time and time and again, especially with someone like Marcus Rashford, who you know, feeding children in Manchester when you know, yeah. when the government said, Man, we have no money for it, he figured out a way to get money for it, yeah, um, and spend his own uh, soccer you know, seeing just a, a small kid, he's a kid, just yeah. having the whole weight of the world on his shoulders and doing it and saying like, this country's putting me down. Some people in this country are putting me down because of the color of my skin, but I'm going to show you something that yeah. will unite us. It's really, they really, yeah, you're right. They truly are like a very inspiring group of lads and yeah. beautiful. So you know, I mean, how great is that? That, uh, that he can, uh, you know, be the be the footballer he is, and yet not be obsessed with that and with himself, like you know some some uh, top flight footballers are, where it's all about them. It's not about him. You know, he's still giving back to his community. He's uh, working with disadvantaged people, and he not just in a sort of token way. You know, getting his photo taken in a homeless shelter or something. He's actually out there himself making a difference. You know, he's that's he's the yeah. I say, do it, you can over, can you overplay it with this team? I don't think so. I think there's something there's there's a you know the under under the under the the leadership we have in the England team. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been a sea change in attitude, and a sea change in professionalism, and a sea change in uh, and and I think that that pays dividends i found anyway in all areas of life having that good attitude pays dividends with results i mean it all kind of feeds through you go in with a with the right attitude 
doesn't all just mean you always succeed, but I think you you have a much better chance because you know people are willing to help along the way. People are willing to buy into what you're doing. People are willing to be supportive. Going with the wrong attitude, people go, oh yeah, here we go. What is it this time then? You know, you have to fight twice as hard to get the results. So you know that the in matter what you know. Sometimes some of the matches were a bit bad tempered, weren't they? But there wasn't a single yellow card to the England team for the entire competition, I don't think. That's... You know, so I don't think there were many other teams that could say that. No, not so, at all. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it says a lot. It certainly says a lot. And hopefully maybe the sea change then echoes the people watching and yeah. pick up a lesson or two. Just, it, it, none of the matches were any less... You know, I, I knew people who were at the games, and there were no, there's no alcohol allowed at the right. game. People said, "Well, that didn't that didn't you know?" There was no less enjoyable because of that. And I know some stadiums are now banning alcohol, just so there's no trouble. And you know, good for them, I say. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever's necessary, you know. <laughs> Fantastic, Dave Roundtree. Thank you so much again for coming on. I really. Pleasure. Ah, what an honor, what a pleasure, what a privilege. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, listen to the album Radio Days. Catch us in the summer and enjoy those collection of songs. Thank you so much, mate. Cheers, take care. Thanks very much. See you soon. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.